not just from books, not just in my head, but by experience, even more so the difference when my life is marked by prayer, how that transforms my life. And the difference when our church is full of prayer, how that makes all the difference. Because what I can start doing, what we can start doing is when there's difficulties, when there's discouragements, when there's stress, is man, we just start moving faster. We just start spinning the wheels faster. We just start working harder. We just start thinking about how can we solve this. And we forget to pause and pray and draw near to the Lord. And so this morning, as I was thinking about from one church planner to a church plant and a church, um, man, what's something that is essential for every single church? What's essential for a church as it's growing? And what I want to talk about is what it looks like to be a prayer-filled church. So just as prayer is essential, I'm, I'm here with Rebecca, my wife. Uh, in our marriage, communication is essential, right? It's not just this optional add-on. If I was to say, man, we got a good marriage, you know, in the last month we haven't really talked. I don't really like talking to her, honestly, but she knows I love her. You'd be like, I don't know, I think something's a little bit off in that marriage. I'm not sure if I could call that a good marriage. You're not legally divorced, but I wouldn't call that a great marriage. In the same way for us as Christians, to say that we have a strong relationship with God means that we must communicate with God. To say that we have a strong relationship with God but our lives are marked by prayerlessness means that we have transformed the Christian life into a commitment to certain religious beliefs, right? We're committed to these beliefs rather than a commitment to a person. And because it's a relationship, we need to know this God in a deep and personal way. We're not talking about just in all some being out there that we can't know. We're not just saying that you have a God, I have a God. There is one true God, and we want to know him in a personal way. And the way that we come to know him is how? Through his word. We come to know him through the scriptures as revealed in his word. If we are praying to God, but we don't have a growing, vibrant understanding and knowledge of who God is, then we might just be praying to a God of our imagination, right? Again, marriage illustration. We've been with family the last four or five days. We actually have hardly talked the last four or five days, and so we need to bring that communication back, but I've been thinking about my wife. Can you imagine if I, uh, David knows my wife. Y'all, some of y'all might have met her. If I stood up here and I said, man, I love my wife so much. Man, have you met her? She's tall. She's got blonde hair. Man, I love how introverted and quiet she is. If you know my wife, none of those are true. She's got a bubbly personality. She's got an outgoing personality. She's got brown hair. You say, what are you talking about? But sometimes this is what Christians can do in their relationship with God. We create a God that we would like to worship, and then we seek to pray to that God. In my own story, I've seen over the past two, three, four years, many different viewpoints that I've had of God kind of broken down a little bit and rebuilt back up stronger. This isn't because I'm less committed to God, less committed to the scriptures. It's that I'm more committed to the scriptures. And I didn't quite realize how much of my view of God was 
developed by my traditions, by my denomination, by the theological frameworks that I agree with the most. So I take all of those and I say, okay, that's who God is. And I had to be willing to let those break down a little bit so I could actually look at the Bible and say, this is who God is. And because I've done that, it's elevated my prayer life. I know who God is more in a deeper and a clearer way. And so in this call to know God through the scriptures so that we can pray to him and who he is, there is a call to all of us, no matter who you are, no matter how long you've been a Christian, to continue to allow your old frameworks to crumble if they need to a little bit. So you can have a stronger understanding of who God is in the scriptures, not just in our denominations, our traditions, and our theological frameworks. So all that to say, Prayer and the word of God, they have to go together. Prayer is how we exhale. The Bible's how we inhale, right? Let's do a, let's do a little illustration. It's December 26th. This helps us stay awake. So this side of the room and that side of the room. This side of the room. When I say three, two, one, go, all you're going to do is exhale, okay? This side of the room. When I say three, two, one, go, Kids included, all you're going to do is inhale. All you're going to do is breathe in. You can't breathe out. Ready? Three, two, one, go. Keep going. Okay, you can stop. So how's that going for you? You can't breathe. <laughs> Our bodies must inhale and exhale. I'm, I'm talking... That's literally all of the knowledge I have about the lungs. But I know that much. Inhale, exhale. That has to happen. And to have a growing relationship with God, we need to fill our lives. Not just that we had it in the past, but we need to fill our lives in 2022 with both prayer and the word of God. So let's get to our topic this morning. What does it look like to be a prayer-filled church? This morning, I'm going to be talking about what it looks like to be prayer-filled individuals, prayer-filled congregation, kind of back and forth a little bit. And what I want to make clear is that there's not some clear, easy, step-by-step process to get there. There's not some legalistic checklist I'm going to give to you. And if you do this, then you're a prayer-filled person or a prayer-filled church. A lot of times, we like to have those checklists so that if we do them, we feel really good about ourselves. And if anyone's not doing them, we feel like, hey, I'm doing better than him at least. But to be a prayer-filled person means that there's freedom in how it's practiced. And the first point in being a prayer-filled church, being a prayer-filled person, this is huge. This is the biggest point of the sermon. It means that you actually pray. It's complicated stuff. Do you remember what Jesus said when he was talking about prayer? He didn't say, if you pray, or when you sometimes pray. What did he say in Matthew 6? He says, when you pray. Don't be like the hypocrites that are praying so that other people will see them. But when you pray, go into your room and shut your door and pray to your father who's in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus made the assumption that if you are a Christian, then you will pray. It's not because you're trying to look in the eyes of others. It's because you love God, you need God, you depend on God, and you want to have a deeper relationship with him. Remember, it's about a relationship. And if you think about the book of Acts, there's different descriptions 
of the church, the early church in the book of Acts. We see them doing different things. Much of the time, I might even be able to say most of the time, what are they doing? They're praying together. Think about the life of Jesus. Obviously, he wasn't just praying on the Sabbath or just praying before meals. He was constantly communicating with his father. The scriptures say that he healed people with prayers. You know, the all-powerful Jesus, he, he needed to pray to heal people. He cast out demons with prayer. He got angry when the temple was no longer a house of prayer. He said, this is what it needs to be all about. He, Jesus prayed with all of his emotions. Hebrews chapter 5 says that he prayed with loud cries and tears. Jesus sometimes prayed throughout the whole night. Jesus was anointed by the Spirit while he was praying. He was transfigured before his disciples while he was praying. Leading up to the cross, he was praying in the garden. On the cross, he was praying that God would forgive his enemies. And then he died praying into your hands. I commit my spirit. And what an example for us. And right now, what's Jesus doing? Y'all know? Right now, he is praying for us. Isn't that amazing? Do you ever stop to think about that? Sometimes when you're praying or sometimes when you feel alone or whatever you might be going through, if you're in Christ, then he is praying for you right now. So as Christians, it doesn't matter exactly what it looks like, what a prayer-filled life looks like. There's no checklist here. It looks different from person to person. Maybe you have a long commute. Live in Dallas. Man, sometimes we need to be praying when we're stuck in traffic, right? You have this long commute. Man, it's a great time to pray. It doesn't have to be in your study. It doesn't have to be in your kitchen, having a quiet time, praying. That's a great opportunity to pray. Maybe you pray better in the morning than in the evening. Maybe during your lunch hour you want to pray. Maybe, uh, you know, we have three younger kids. Man, prayer looks a little bit different when you got three younger kids. Whatever your life stage is, whatever situation you're found in, is that we are praying and that we don't give up. But here's what doesn't seem to work for anyone doesn't work for me is saying i don't want to be legalistic so i'm not going to come up with a system for prayer i'm just going to try to remember to pray when i feel led most times i'm sure there's some people that this works for most times when that is your system it will end up in prayerlessness because when we when we do that we get busy and we get forgetful and we get on going, doing our things. It's important for us to say, man, I want to make sure that I'm, I'm pausing to pray at this time. I want to make sure I'm pausing to pray at this time so that I ensure that I'm praying. Is when I do that in my own life, that's when I actually start to pray more in the margins of my life. But when I rely on the margins of my life is when I get into prayerlessness. <clears throat> in my own life, I would say that I have to repent of this at least five times a year. Or I'm kind of like, man, I was praying two months ago every day, you know, or throughout the day every day. And now I'm not. Again, it's an opportunity to repent, get back going, come back to the Lord and say, man, I want to value prayer. And so if that's you this morning, man, this is repent is not an ugly word. Repent is a word of freedom. Say, man, I want to just get right back to it. Jesus is ready to, to meet with me. Jesus is ready to communicate with me. And I want again seek to have my life marked by prayer. We can think of it like this. If this is what our relationship with God looks like, God's always, God's facing me. I'm facing him. We're communing together. The busyness of life comes or maybe sins, struggles come into our life or just some 
trials or something like that. And let's say we start to turn like this. As we're moving through life, what's going on? God is always right there with us. And, and all it takes is a morning like this or, or whatever it is for us to say, no, I, I want to have a prayer-filled life. I want to commune more with my Savior. And we turn like this, and he's ready to meet with us. That's beautiful. We don't have to work back into his good side. He's ready to meet with us. And so as individuals, we want to connect with God in prayer, and we want the same as a church community. Right? It's not enough just to have individuals in the church that are praying. We want to be a family that prays. And so we want to pray through corporate worship. We were just praying, we just had uh, prayed together in many ways through the singing. We want to pray in our community groups. Uh, we want to have one-on-one praying during the week. I don't know if you have that where maybe someone comes to mind and you give them a call, check in, see how they're doing. And man, you, you hear that they have this trial still going on in their life. They have a, a job interview coming up, whatever it might be. Being willing to pause and say, Hey, can I pray for you right now? Maybe before the service on Sunday mornings or, or after the service on Sunday mornings, you're talking with someone and again, you hear about their, uh, they have a family member that's sick. Hey, can I pray for that right now? What would that look like if we were a prayer-filled community, not just individuals? Again, we're not worried about a legalistic checklist, but we should ask ourselves as churches, as a church, are we really committed to prayer? Yes, this falls in some ways on the pastors and leaders of the church. This would be kind of like the top-down approach. Do we pray on Sunday mornings? Uh, potentially, is there a prayer meeting? Things, things like that. Do we encourage prayer from the front? I would say that's the minor focus of this morning. That's the minor focus of the church. The major focus is I'm, I'm not talking to Keith here, if he's listening. The major focus is I'm talking to those that are here just you're like hey i'm just i'm an average member in the church that's who i'm talking to right now that we would be an organic community committed to prayer and it's simple it just means that we pray for each other so i want to do another little uh quick illustration here um if you enjoy being prayed for or kind of when you're going through something, want to be prayed for, or that ministers to you when you're, when someone prays for you, would you raise your hand? Would you raise your hand if, if it ministers to you if someone prays for you? Okay, you can put it down. We like to be prayed for. It ministers to us. And not only that, but God moves powerfully through those prayers. Then why, I do this too, then why when we hear in community groups, some, you know, you're talking with someone, eating, eating a snack or something like that, they're talking about something going on in their life. They, they love being prayed for. They need to be prayed for. They don't need a pastor necessarily to only to pray for them. They just need a Christian to pray for them. Why don't we pray for them? Right? But if the more that we do that, in the more that we are an organic, prayer-filled community. So I'm saying this, like as in, I'm doing this perfectly all the time. That's not true. I have to remind myself of this all the time because we get going, we're busy or we're focused on ourselves or we're focused on the next thing, whatever that might be. But if we really believe that God moves powerfully through prayer and that our brothers and sisters truly have things going on in their lives and need to be ministered to, then would we pause and pray for one another and just the everyday rhythms of our lives So that's kind of a big picture, but I want you to, each person here this morning to consider, 
What would it look like for you to get off the sidelines in this way, to get more involved in the game, and to ask God, man, how can I be more involved in praying for people in my church? And as we pray, we want to be our prayers to be marked by certain qualities. Man, this is where you can have a whole sermon on each of these. We want to be marked by relationship over ritual. We want to be marked by passion over disinterest. We want to be marked by clarity over commotion. We want to be marked by expectation over doubts. And we want to be marked by honest emotions. So again, I could preach a whole sermon on any of those, but I want to focus in on that last quality, maybe because I'm in the middle of growing in this way. But I feel like maybe sometimes as a culture, all of us could grow in this way. To be a prayer-filled church also means that we are truly vulnerable with the Lord and that we pray our emotions to him. Now, I'm still working on this, but in the ways that I have grown in this, I won't just say it's transformed my prayer life, it's transformed my life. When I feel frustrated, and what, what do I want to do when I feel frustrated? I usually either bottle it up or I try to solve it or I start thinking along these lines, usually negative thoughts, this and that. But what if instead, when we feel frustrated, we turn to God in prayer and say, God, I feel frustrated and this is why. Man, our options are we can turn to God and give him our emotions or we can keep them all in here and try to solve it ourselves. And for myself, if I feel disappointment, that's what I usually do. I usually start bottling it up, start internalizing it, start to feel a little bit of stress. But then I remember to pray my emotions. I try to express the words of the feelings that I'm feeling inside of the loss or the grief or disappointment that I have. I try to be as vulnerable as possible to the Lord about my fears, anxieties, insecurities, frustrations to God. And he shows up to carry those burdens for me. Now, I know, I know we know this. We're Christians. We've heard sermons on prayer. This is a reminder. And you are either telling God your emotions. You're either bringing those to the Lord or you're trying to handle them on your own. There's, there's only two options here. We all have negative emotions. I'm a less, I, I don't consider myself a highly emotional person. Man, but I'm learning more and more that I probably just call them different things. You know, called it stress, or I called it this, or, you know, whatever that might be. But yeah, I have these emotions, and we can either internalize it, which leads to more stress and anxiety, or we externalize it, which is leads to complaining, criticism, etc., whatever it might be, or we can express those emotions to God and let him handle it for us. And we want to do this as individuals. And we want to love one another enough and know one another deep enough to do this as a community. When we pray for one another, and that we, we'd be willing to pour out our hearts for one another. Paul tells us that this is actually the only true way to find peace. In Philippians chapter 4, he says, don't be anxious for anything. You have those anxieties, we all have them. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which transcend, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And Peter says the same, right? Cast your cares on the Lord, because he cares for you. So cast your fears on the Lord, because he cares for you. Cast your frustrations on the Lord, because he cares for you. Cast your ang- insecurities and anxieties on the Lord because he cares for you. 
The book of Hebrews talks about Jesus and it says that he didn't internalize his pain. It says that he prayed his pain. I mentioned it earlier here. He prayed with loud cries and tears while he was on this earth. Can you imagine Jesus praying with loud cries and tears? He wasn't just talking about Jesus in the garden. Jesus prayed like this all the time. Isaiah 53 says that when the Messiah comes, he's going to be known as a man of sorrows. Acquainted with deepest grief. And so I want us to recognize that this is something that we want to add to our prayer tool belt if we're not doing it. Or maybe we, we are doing it in some ways and we want to like increase that in the coming year. How can I be more willing and able and quick to bring my emotions to the Lord? And so I want to show you through a psalm what this looks like. And of course, one of the best examples that we can get is through the psalmist, David, King David. And so if you would, you can turn with me to Psalm chapter 13. I want you, I want you to listen to the ways that he, it's not the churchiest prayer. And it's sometimes not even a theologically accurate prayer. But listen to how he's pouring out his heart to the Lord. Psalm 13 verse 1. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy says I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. These are the four steps to bringing our emotions to God. I want to walk through them with you here. First, again, it's simple, but it is a step. The first step is that we turn to God in prayer. Whether you have a huge sorrow, trial, suffering going on in your life, or a smaller daily frustration, we have to choose to turn to God in prayer. It doesn't just happen naturally. It doesn't just like happen automatically. What we're going to try to do instead is usually internalize it, bottle it up, or let it just defeat us, whatever it might be. And so we turn to God in prayer. Man, for myself, many times my first instinct is not to pray. And it's not till maybe hours later that I remember, hey, man, I've been thinking about this all day, but I haven't been praying about this all day. And it's amazing how God shows up when I begin to turn to God in prayer. So that's the first step. You turn to God. Second step. We bring our raw, unfiltered emotions to God. David hasn't sat down and journaled for a while, said, oh, God, why have you forgotten me? Oh, you know what? He hasn't forgotten me. These are the reasons why he hasn't forgotten me. Okay, now when I pray to him, I can say like, God, I know you haven't forgotten me, but this. But right? He brings his raw, unfiltered emotions to God. He says, God, you have, for, you have forgotten about me. You have hidden your face from me. Why? How long? Do you all catch that? David is not being theologically accurate here. That's not true. God has not hidden his face from David. But God is big enough to handle David's raw, unfiltered emotions. And this is an important step for us as we pray. He doesn't want us to figure it out. 
and then come to him in prayer. He wants us to run to him while we're still disoriented. You know those moments you're just, everything's falling apart? That's when we run to God. We, we don't even know what to say. But what comes out, but what, what's going on is that we're running to him. We're not trying to solve it on our own. We're running to God. We're not trying to run to something else to try to save us. We're running to him. And as we think about being a congregation, as you being a congregation filled with prayer, don't miss this step. When someone is deeply hurting, they're wounded, and something's rocked their world. Your job as their friend is first and foremost not to make sure that their theology remains perfect in the midst of their deepest sorrow. Your first job is to sympathize with them, to weep with them, to mourn with them, to pray with them, to be there with them, to help them bring their raw, unfiltered emotions to God. Third, so we turn to God, we bring our emotions to God, and third, we ask boldly. And David, bring, how long, O oh Lord, how long, O oh Lord, how long, O oh Lord? And then he says, consider me, answer me, don't let my foes rejoice over me. And the, the prayer's not done. He's saying, God, now show up in these big ways. And that's the pattern that we take after we've given him our cares, we've casted our cares on him, now it's time to ask. And that's what David does here. And then fourth and finally, an important step is that we choose to trust. He says, after praying, God hasn't answered the prayer yet. And David says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. I trust you. My heart's going to rejoice in your salvation. I'm going to sing of it because you will deal bountifully with me. Even before God had answered this prayer, David chose to trust. That's how he finishes prayer. Choose to trust that God will answer this prayer in a way that is best for David. That will lead to praise. This is what it looks like to pray our emotions. We turn to God. We pray our unfiltered emotions. We ask boldly. And we choose to trust. I've, I've kind of mentioned just like everyday frustrations, everyday disappointments, something your, your boss did this thing again or whatever it is. Okay, God, this is what's going on. Those are some of those smaller things. They're big in the moment, but they're smaller. Sometimes you might be going through or someone in the church might be going through something that you're not going to pray this one time and then poof, it's gone. This is the pattern of daily prayer. And we, we want to pray and then it's done, right? But instead, this is the pattern that we pray while it's not done. We continue to be faithful by continuing to turn to him in prayer, continuing to give him our emotions, continuing to ask and continuing to choose to trust. In our church in San Benito, um, sometimes we're surprised just how many people in the church have deep, deep wounds. Right now, deep, deep wounds, um, abuse in their past, trauma in their past, trying to make sense of life, things with kids, things with parents, whatever it might be. And because this church, City Church Garland, is filled with human beings, my guess is that there are some deep hurts in this church. And to be a prayer-filled church means that, yes, the pastors are doing this, but that the everyday members are mourning with those who mourn. Sometimes it's one time. 
but on a, on a regular basis sometimes. You're mourning with those who mourn. You're, you're being persistent with them. And as we pray for those who are hurting, and think about just the, the hurts in this church. Think about the friends and family you know that have deep wounds. As you come to them and pray for them, your first goal should not be to have the most put together churchy prayer. Your first goal should be to come alongside, to sympathize with them, to pour out your hearts for God on their behalf. Sometimes when you're going through the worst things, you don't have words to pray. You need people to pray those for you. And so to be the family of Christ, we go to our brothers and sisters and we mourn with them and we sympathize with them and we pour out our hearts to God on their behalf. And in this way, we are living out our identity as the body of Christ that is being built up in love. Think about Jesus. He regularly mourned over the brokenness in this world. And now in heaven, Paul tells us that Jesus is not cold toward our pain, but he sympathizes with that our pain, which means, if you don't know what that word means, it means that he suffers with our pain. That's what it means to sympathize with someone. You suffer with them. And both Romans and Hebrews says that Jesus right now is in heaven interceding for us. He's praying for us. And so if you are going through something this morning, you're not alone. Your Savior, who is in heaven, suffers with you and is praying for you. And if that's who Jesus is, and if that's how he acts toward us, let's be the body of Christ for one another. Let's suffer with one another. Let's pray for one another because we are not alone. We are a part of the body of Christ. There's nothing more family-like in the body than coming alongside and ministering to one another in this way. But there's one last question I want us to consider. This is a big one. How do we know that God hears our prayers? Right? How do we know that he's going to answer my prayer? In theory, we know it. But how do we know that he's going to answer this prayer that I have right here? And we think about when we were in darkness, we were sinners, we were enemies of God. We had no right to come before God in prayer. But Jesus has made a way, right? In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus begged God to take away the cup that he was going to have to drink. Remember that prayer? He was referring to the cross. He poured out his emotions so much to God that he sweat like drops of blood. And on that night, God did not answer Jesus' prayer. When Jesus prayed for the cup to pass, the father said no. And not only that, but when Jesus became sin for us on the cross, the father turned his face away. Jesus was completely rejected by his father as he became our sin on the cross. And this is why Jesus, we talk about praying our emotions to God. Sometimes when we think about this prayer, we think about Jesus saying it eloquently. Maybe you've seen it in some movie or something. But I want you to hear it as it most likely was that Jesus screamed out from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At the cross, our sin was transferred to Jesus and judged. And at the cross, his righteousness and faithfulness and sonship was given to us. So now in Christ, our guilt, our shame, all fear is gone. We are no longer enemies, but we are friends and children of God. 
So before it would have been insane to think that we could approach God's throne room. The almighty king of the universe. But now through the blood of Christ, he has opened up that door. I don't know if you've heard this quote from Tim Keller. He says it like this. The only person that dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is his child. We have that kind of access. God said no to Jesus in the garden so that he can say yes to us. This is the gospel. But he doesn't always answer as we would expect as we know. Listen to uh, Jesus' words in Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 9. I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. He's saying, pray. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. To the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This means that if you are in Christ, then God will always give you what is best for you. If you ask for a fish, he will give you a fish. But he is all-wise We are not. He sees the whole story. We don't. Sometimes we think we know what we need, but God's good purposes are beyond our understanding. And in these times, we might think that we're asking for a fish, but we're actually asking for a scorpion. And instead of giving us exactly what we ask, he gives us what we need instead, which means if we ask for a fish, he will give us a fish. If we ask for a scorpion, he will give us a fish. It takes faith to trust that he will always respond to our prayers in a way that is best for us. So the goal of any church, any biblical church, should be to be a prayer-filled church. And some, some ways that we can do that in this coming year, some ways that we can assess how we're doing, is first, it means that we actually pray individually, and that we actually pray for one another. It means that we have prayer in our programming, but man, it's up to you. It's up to the church to say, man, I'm going to step up. You do not need to be a Christian for a long time to pray for someone. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. You can minister to people in your church. You can, you might, Keith might be in here and he might be, you know, struggling with something or he might have a sickness in the family. Sometimes we think in the church, oh, the pastor prays for me. But you need to flip that around because you, it's a universe, it's a priesthood of all believers. We're all priests in the church. And so whether it's Keith or Kevin or someone else in the church or anyone else in the church, you have the ability to pray for others. And Christ has called you to do so. And the more that we do that, the more that we're going to see our church saturated with prayers. And finally, it means that we, when we pray, um, yes, it's good for our prayers to be true. We want to have a good understanding of who God is. But man, we don't need to be so worried, especially in the hardest situations, about having the most put-together churchy prayers. But that we'd be willing to pour out our emotions to God, be vulnerable with Him, and with our brothers and sisters that are struggling, that we would pray over them. 
and mourn with them and ask God to show up in their lives. Prayer is not an optional add-on. It's essential to who we are as the church. Let's pray. And Father, as I pray right now, I'm thinking about that text from Luke 11. That takes faith to believe that when we ask you in prayer, you will give us what's best for us. Because we're in Christ and because we're forgiven, because we're adopted, because our sin's been paid for, you're never going to just say no to our prayers but you're going to instead say yes to them, but in a way that is best for us. God, help us to truly believe, not just here as we're singing songs, but truly believe in the day in and day out of our lives that you are strong, you are good, you are faithful, and you are wise. And to also remember that we are not those things. And so God, Help us to pray. Help us to pour out our hearts to you, but help us to trust. God, for anyone in City Church who is needing prayer, God, I pray that you would raise up people in the church to pray for them. You would raise up ordinary members to pray for them and text them, hey, I'm praying for you. How are you doing? Or to give them a call on the phone and pray for them or pray for them after the service, whatever it might be. God, we thank you that you have not given this responsibility to a few leaders. You've given it to all of us. We all get to be priests in this house. Jesus, we thank you. Man, we thank you for the gospel, that you would be willing to move forward knowing what the cross would mean. That you screaming at the cross, why have you forsaken me? Man, that, that was meant for us because of our sin. But you said, I'll take that for them. Help us to feel that deeply, not just know it in our heads, but feel it in our hearts. Let it change our lives. God, for anyone who is feeling like, man, I have been prayerless, but every month I come back to this and I'm always prayerless. Lord, would we not grow weary in seeking to develop a prayer-filled life? Would we have a moment of repentance? I'm praying for myself as well. God, because it's so good, it's so refreshing, it's so strengthening, it's so sweet to have a growing, vibrant prayer life and and, and help us to want that. And this world promises so many other things and says so many other things are far better than communing with you. So help us to really believe your word. Help us to believe that you are good and that fellowship with you is, is better than anything that this world can offer to us. We, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.